wow, this is weird. <laughs> Let's just take a moment to acknowledge how strange this is. And this is on top of what, frankly, was already a pretty strange summer to, uh, to begin with. This has been a this has been one for the books. Now, uh, as uh, Pastor Krause said, uh, it's been a while since I've been here, and this place was kind of formative to me, and so to come back here and see all of your faces, oh, what a wash it gives to me uh, after this uh, summer of not seeing many familiar faces uh, on top of that. What a weird time this has been. What a weird time that's caused a lot of reflection, full of weird ju juxtapositions, right? Because right now we're celebrating the 4th of July, or at least yesterday we were celebrating the 4th of July. Some of us are still celebrating it today, I suppose. Uh, and uh, when we celebrate the 4th of July, we're really focusing, of course, on freedom. We're focusing on freedom and on hot dogs. I watched the Nathan's hot dogs thing uh, yesterday. Uh, we're focusing on what we have as Americans, right? We broke away from a king so that we could be free. And that's wonderful. It's great to focus on those freedoms. And yet, this is 2020, and we have just been enduring the year of COVID, and I have never felt less free in my entire life. I have been literally trapped in my house every single day, every single week. The rules and information change. It's been dizzying. In fact, I have found that I am not free in ways I had never even thought of as being free or not free. I have new limitations I never even saw coming. It gets you thinking about all the different ways in which, even though we love our freedom, even though we love to be free, we really aren't. How is it that Jesus then addresses this state of freedom. Freedom is actually a pretty big topic when we look at it uh, in its repeated occurrences throughout the entire Bible. And it's a major topic of conversation uh, right now. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been a while since I've done a PowerPoint for a, a, a sermon. Just wanted to emphasize, even when we're out and we are free and walking around, even there, we're not free right now. Isn't that kind of weird? Anyway, when we say free, these days we're kind of left saying free. I'm free, but. And uh, if you've ever uh, uh, heard the expression, everything that comes before the but in a sentence like this doesn't count, right? I love you, but. The, everything after the but is, about, is what's relevant. Thank you, but. I'm free, but. So how do, we, how do we resolve this uh, major difference? We're going to be looking at uh, Jesus as he was preaching. In this area, uh, Jesus has kind of been bouncing back and forth between the hill that this picture was taken on, that's the Mount of Olives, and then what's just over the wall there, which would have been uh, the temple courts. So he's, looking, he's been looking down on what is the city of Jerusalem. Now when we look at this picture today, we probably say to ourselves, oh man, that's not at all what it looked like during uh, Jesus' day, right? The Dome of the Rock, that big golden dome that's right there, uh, wouldn't have been there back then. But actually, 
in terms of its character and spirit, I actually think this is a pretty good representation of about what Jesus would have seen. He would have looked down into that city and seen temples to many gods, Roman gods and Greek gods, and of course the true God would have been uh, in there. He would have looked down and he would have seen military barracks to invading and foreign armies. It would have been uh, a mishmash. He would have seen tremendous and ostentatious wealth. He would have seen horrible poverty as he was looking down in there. And, as he's, uh, and this is the backdrop then, as he bounces back and forth between those two locations, preaching and teaching. A lot, of, uh, a lot of his messages right now are being directed kind of tangentially anyway towards the Pharisees. And you'll remember throughout the whole of the Gospels, the Pharisees really enjoy coming after Jesus and really grilling him and trying to put him to the test. I think that a lot of their animosity actually comes from some of the things that happen in this encounter. Jesus is telling them about God and who God is. And some of the things that he's saying to them are really surprising. Now, this sounds like just a great educational opportunity, but you have to remember, these men, Pharisees and, and frankly, uh, the Jews in general, had as, uh, as their core identity, their relationship with God. And so as Jesus is revealing to them more and more and recontextualizing some of the things that they thought they knew about God and now are finding out they were way off on, it's not just information coming in. It's not even just a challenge to their previously held religious beliefs. This is a challenge to their core identity. He's challenging who it is they are. And they keep trying to hit back, and Jesus keeps putting them back in their place again. This must have been an enormously frustrating and enormously upsetting time for them. They thought they knew who they were as the chosen ones of God. And it turns out they hadn't even thought through who God is all that clearly. When we join this uh, message that Jesus has been giving to the Pharisees. He has just been telling them that they are not free. He says, those who, follow, uh, uh, those who know the truth, follow me. Uh, uh, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Right? He's offering freedom. And they kind of scoff at this idea. Of uh, where he's offering them freedom. He says, to, uh, they say, well, wait a minute, we're, we're Abraham's children. We've never been slaves of anyone. Who are you to say that you're going to make us free? Now, right off the bat, you know, a lot of people object there, and they say, well, you know, the, you know, the children of Isra Israel were slaves in Egypt, and they were slaves in Babylon, and so forth. Uh, I actually, I try to be very forgiving of the Pharisees in this situation. Typically a bad idea to be forgiving of Pharisees, but in this one instance, I think that they're just referring to their group of people who are standing right there. We, standing here in front of you, we're not slaves. We're free. What are you offering to us that I don't already have? I live in this city with all of this stuff. My God is the real God. What is it that you're actually trying to sell to me, Jesus? What is, uh, uh, why would you say I'm going to give you freedom if I'm uh, already free? And so Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, 
everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And this does kind of set them on their heels. This is right after that instance where Jesus uh, stopped the mob from stoning that woman who was caught in adultery. So he's already illustrated very pointedly that people have sin. And that beyond that, that sin owns them. It makes good sense. Sin is not to your benefit, right? You, it's, it's literally impossible to sin to your benefit. Sin is always self-destructive. And so the only way that you would actually commit it is if it owned you and could make you do it to some extent. Sin is always going to damage you. So if you're doing it, man, you are a slave to sin. Well, that opens up a whole new world of thinking about things that we are slaves to. Because we don't, when we talk about freedom, what we're usually talking about is just the, the, maybe the most superficial senses of freedom, right? The little things that I'm allowed to do. But think about all the ways in which you are not free. Uh, I drove here from uh, Mankato, where I've been living now for a couple of years. Uh, and it was about four, four and a half hour drive. I love the drive through western uh, Wisconsin. I think that's really pretty country. So I didn't mind that much. However, given a choice in the matter, I would have still flown. I don't mean like in a plane. I mean like I would have put my arms above my head like Superman and I would have flown through the air, right? Robe flapping. Look up in the sky. It's a Lutheran, right? (laughs) So I would have flown here. Why did I not do that? Like, I'm bound. Even though it would have been my choice. I wasn't free to make that choice. I am bound by rules. I have the law of gravity that's holding me back, right? Dave kindly observed this morning that I'm also not as aerodynamic as I was when I was a vicar, so flying was definitely out of the question, right? I am bound by the rules of physical reality. I'm a slave to them. I'm not free to make that choice. I want a yacht. And on my yacht, I would like to have two jet ski bays and a pool. The pool on the yacht always seems especially ostentatious because, you know, surrounded by water, right? And I'd have a chef and a pilot. I want those things. If I had my way, I'd have those things. But I don't have those things. Why? Because I'm not free. I am not free to just have those things. I am constrained by my wealth. Physical reality is constraining me. My wealth is constraining me. I am not free. If I had my way, I would have a perfect relationship with my wife. Now let me preface, I like my wife very much. It's not perfect. I love my two daughters very much. It's not perfect. I would have a perfect relationship with all of you if I could, and it's never going to 
be that way. I can't even show care to the people that I want to show care to the most. My relationships are broken. I had a, uh, uh, we had a party in my first year of college, ages ago, and uh, it was a get-together of all of my old high school friends. We had a good time. Jason did seem a little off, and, uh, but Jason, you know, he's always a little off, and we got to the end of the party. Everyone uh, uh, said goodbye. We all went home, except Jason, who drove to the Golden Gate Bridge and jumped. That whole night, he must have been wrestling. He must have been hurting. And without blaming myself for what happened, if I had known what he was going through, I would have tried anything to try to keep him from doing that. This was a person who I loved, but my relationship with him was so broken that I couldn't even see how much he was going through on the last day of his life. I couldn't even show him the kind of love and care that I would want to show him when he most needed to hear it. Who of us, if we had the ability to, wouldn't go to a children's hospital and scoop cancer out of brains and hearts and bones? Who of us here, on our own deathbeds, if we had freedom to do it, wouldn't choose to live? I am a slave to so many things. If I had freedom, all these things would be different. So when we return to what we read in Romans today, it just underscores the degree to which we are not free. When Paul writes, for, the, I, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Even the thing, I mean, you look at me, it's obvious I'm not going to fly somewhere. You can guess that I'm not going to buy a yacht. You know, as just a human being, you're going to miss those subtle cues, even in your closest relationships. But there seems to be nothing that would keep me from doing the stuff that I want to do if it's good or not doing the things that hurt me. And yet that is exactly how we live. How can we look at ourselves then and say that we are free? How is it that freedom is exactly the thing that Jesus is offering to us in our text? Jesus says in our text, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's just take this piece by piece. Let's start with that first bit. If the Son sets you free. It makes it sound like a little thing, but it's a big change that's taking place. Uh, we've got uh, uh, sort, of, sort of kind of a play on words here because there's an action on the side, a lutherose. Uh, that's the action that Jesus is taking, making free, removing restrictions, and then it becomes a change that takes place to your being. He does the action, the making free, and you become a changed being. You become 
a free thing. He takes the action. You are the one who experiences the change. But the way he makes it sound sounds like such a little thing, right? If the sun makes you free, then you're free indeed. So you get this sort of idea when we, when we give a superficial read to this thing of a slave owner's son. And he just goes out to the slave uh, cabin and he opens up the doors and says, hey guys, uh, I read my Bible last night, read Philemon. You know, it's talking about how it's bad to have slaves and uh, you're free now. Get out of here. That, it never works that way. If you want to get freedom for somebody, that always is going to take sacrifice on somebody's part. If the son wants to set you free, he's got to buy you back. Even, you know, it's the 4th of July. Let's think about our own history. I've been on kind of a Civil War kick. The sacrifice that it took to end fr uh, earthly slavery in our country, holy mackerel. It was an enormous sacrifice that got offered, and that was just for that kind of uh, slavery, just for earthly uh, slavery. If the sun sets you free is not an easy thing. That's just words. The action was incredible. Jesus spent his entire life becoming a slave in order to set us free. Jesus took our slavery, and I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally. Think about it. God in heaven the power by which all things have been created, decides to confine himself to a mother. Infinite God chooses to become subject to the laws of physical reality, laws that he wrote. And then he chooses to become subject, to become a slave to pain just as soon as he's born. He lives his life being a servant, being a slave to the people who should have been his servants, especially his disciples, washing their feet, giving them food when they wanted or needed food, providing for them. He spent his life in servitude. The cost of our freedom was really steep. And then finally, he took he carried his own instrument of execution. He didn't even have someone to take his cross for him. And he dragged his cross to Golgotha and rendered a final sacrifice. When it says the sun sets you free, that was no small thing. God became a servant even unto death. We know that his purchase of us from slavery was accepted because, of course, he burst the tomb again and came out. So now we know the freedom that we see in him is also ours as well. We have freedom with Christ. But he goes a step further than that. He didn't just win the freedom. By his Holy Spirit, he also brings us the freedom. This means real, substantial changes. 
actual real changes. So I, the way I tend to think about it is I think about it like with my daughter, right? I have a, a, a little girl. She just turned five years old. She's very cute, blonde curls and everything. I'm a big fan. Uh, anyway, I guess it would be weird if I wasn't, right? Uh, so anyway, uh, she has a lot of friends who live across the street from us. It's a kind of busy street, and my daughter's a very cautious little girl. Uh, so even if I hadn't told her, which of course I have many times, not to cross the street, she wouldn't cross the street. However, I have seen her go walking up down the driveway to the sidewalk and just look sadly across the street at the friends playing in their yards. The other day, the sprinkler was on, and all of her friends were out, uh, out there running back and forth through it, and she was just standing there at the end of the driveway looking, knowing she can't cross the street. Why can't she cross the street? She's not free. She's not free to get across. That is an impenetrable barrier. Trying to cross it would be dangerous, could kill her, certainly be scared. What does it take to give her that freedom? What does it take to change who she is? All she has to do is walk over and take my hand and say, can we go across the street? And I say, let's go. And we cross over it together. By herself, she was not free. As soon as she took my hand, she was free. By herself, she was not safe. As soon as she takes my hand, she becomes a safe person. By herself, she couldn't have her way. As soon as she takes my hand, she can. But all of those things that we were talking about before, ways in which we're slaying, you know, flying and yachts and stuff, man, those don't seem like the sort of thing that we get rectified in Christ. But let's actually revisit those. Because he says in our text, you will be free indeed. He's not making any you know, bones about this thing. You will be free indeed. Okay, what about the yacht, Jesus? Well, what was it that was constraining me about that? I have limited wealth. I have such limited wealth that I can't buy the things that I wish I could buy. On my own, I am a slave to that. But holding on to Jesus... I have more wealth than this world could ever hope to offer me because I become an heir of the kingdom of heaven. God, who made and owns all things in this world and other worlds and beyond them, there, there we go, uh, uh, God who controls everything has made me his child and heir. He has made you his child and heir, and all things that he has are yours. What is it that the world is going to give you that even remotely compares to the wealth that you have when you're holding Jesus? Okay, what about relationships? My relationships can't be perfect. Well, holding on to Jesus, I have an eternal and perfect relationship, not with my wife, not just with my kids, but with every child of God, every brother and sister in Christ who has ever lived, lives now, and ever will live. I have a perfect individual relationship with all of them 
because I'm holding Jesus' hand. An astonishing amount of freedom that the world could never offer. What about my ability to care, right? I couldn't even show care and love to the people who I most want to show care and love to. Holding on to Jesus' hand, even here in this world, I now have a, a, you know, I'm, I've, I'm on spiritual life support. I've been brought back to life again. I can serve my God here right now and in perfection in eternity. Give it, holding on to Jesus, I have the ability to show more care and love now and in eternity than I ever could have just alone in this world. And ultimately, death. Death was an impenetrable barrier for me. It was the road for my daughter. But holding Jesus' hand, we cross over it together. And I have eternal life. You know, in this world, no doctor is ever going to give you good news. Right? That's the health that the world has to offer. The best news that a doctor can give you when you walk into his office is, uh, you're not dying this time. Come back next time. Let you know if you're dying then, right? You're, no doctor is ever going to give you good news that everything's fine. Holding on to Jesus, I have health that the world could never offer to me. Eternal life with him. All right, let's do the really rough one. I didn't fly here. I am bound by the laws of nature. I am bound by the laws of physics. And yet... Holding on to Christ. I have a body that is going to die and go into the ground and rot and turn into ash and then come back again and ascend. Holding on to Jesus, even the laws of nature cease to apply. Everything that constrains us, everything that we were a slave to, holding on to Christ, we find removed. The barriers that held us back are gone. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen.